0: The Mac Observers, Mac Geek Cab, episode 857, for Monday, February 15th, 2021. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observers, Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We answer your questions. We share your tips. We share your cool stuff found. We share some of our own. The goal is every week when we get together, each of us learns at least five new things. That's how it works or it's supposed to work. And thus far, pretty good. And we love to have you as part of the Mac Geek Gap family here. Thanks for listening. Sponsors for this episode include 2bird.com, TWObird.com. Amazon.com slash M-G-G-R-X for Amazon Pharmacy, Mac.Cashfly.com, Babbel.com, B-A-B-B-E-L.com with promo code MGG for three months free with your three-month subscription, and KittyPooClub.com with promo code MGG. We'll talk more about those later because it's fun. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton.
1: And here in Fayetteville, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How are you today, Mr. John F. Braun? ah hanging in there hanging hey that's uh doing all sort of been doing all sort of tech support for friends and family and and strangers usually make it better (laughs) oh and strangers yes uh and let's go right to a quick tip that i gave a stranger all right um so i've been uh going out walking more often than i usually do um and so I was walking on this one trail in one of our open spaces, walked along, you know, past a few people, past one couple with their dog who uh, had a stick. in. Half of the dogs that I see when people are out with their dogs have a stick in their mouth. I think it's like a alpha dog, like status symbol or something. Okay. Okay. Fair. <laughs> sure. Check out, check out my stick. <laughs> um, so I passed, you know, a couple and their dog. I passed, you know, one or two other people. And then I'm walking down the trail and I see uh, in the middle of the snow covered. Trail uh what appeared to be uh an iPhone and it was actually an iPhone eight. XL, right? Uh big honking phone. So one, how could you not realize that you dropped your phone? I mean, it's so huge.
0: It wouldn't XL, why can't I remember? Wouldn't that just be an iPhone eight? It was a big
1: one. It was just a big it was a big one. Okay. I thought they called it the XL. But anyways, it was the larger iPhone eight with the you know, home button and the touch ID and all of that stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Eight so, plus. I was like John, hmm. eight plus.
1: Eight plus. Okay. Yes. That's it. Yep.
0: Thanks so everybody like, in the chat hmm. room at Mac uh, at live.mackeekab.com for catching us on that one.
1: <laughs> right. Um so I'm like, huh, how can I find out who uh who owns this phone? So I tried to unlock it, but you know, I tried a couple of you know dumb passcodes that didn't work. I tried touch ID, obviously that didn't work, nor would I expect it to. Uh so now I'm like, oh, you know, I remember this one trick here. So, you know, there's the S lady on the phone. And on this phone, if you hold down the home button, eventually S lady will come up. And so I did that and I said, S lady, who's the owner of this phone? Um, Or did I say, who does this phone? Be-? I think I said, who does this phone belong to? And it yeah. said, the, that's a good question. And then I rephrased it and it came up with, it appears this phone belongs to mama. And I'm like, nah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and I'm like, narrows right, it um, down, but not enough. That's right. Yeah. And then, then I came across the couple and they were like, did you find a phone? And I'm like, yes. I'm like, can you, can you unlock it? Just so I, uh, I was almost sure it was there. Of course. Like, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, She tried Touch ID and it probably didn't work because it was, you know, dry and all that out. But she typed in her passcode and it it opened it. And I'm like, okay, here you go. I'm like, here's a tip for you. Uh, Because I tried the same thing with my phone, Dave. Yeah. Um, One thing on the iPhone 12, which I had to figure out for myself, is that to activate you know who, there is, of course, no home button. On the iPhone 12 and probably prior uh, Face ID based phones, holding down the power button will bring up, bring it up. The so I did it with The, the side and
0: button. I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wake up button. Yeah, okay. Yep. that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So I held it down, and then I asked my phone, and it came up and said, it appears this phone belongs to John. Like, okay, that's, that's good. Yeah. Um, and maybe I ha- you have to do it more than once, but then I did it again, and on the top of the screen was my contact card. Ah, and when I clicked on that, it actually showed my contact card. So one, you could consider that kind of a security thing. Though I think you can disable that somewhere. Yes. Yeah,
0: I think that's um
1: true. But the thing is, when I clicked on the contact card, it showed my entire contact card. You know, my phone numbers, my address, uh, all that sort of thing. So my tip uh, turned out to not really, really be that quick. But um, set up your personal contact card properly on your phone. Yeah. Yeah, and you or in or in contacts, um, you know, if, if you sync it to uh, to iCloud, and that way people can return your phone to you if you lose it.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you go to um, settings contacts, there is my info is listed there, and that's where you can choose the contact card that will be yours, and presumably that's the one that comes up when somebody asks the questions. That you asked so maybe she just has herself called mama and the phone
1: ah, in the, okay that, that could be it yeah because the, there's like three different places where you can set your name yeah and that's one of them so thank you for that follow up.
0: yeah and then there's there's setting your medical ID too folks in the chat room are suggesting uh, to do that too and you do that under settings health medical ID. Uh, And you can set all kinds of things, including emergency contact and show when locked. Uh, So there's another another point of contact thing. And that that would even have your emergency contact information, which might be more helpful Mm -hmm. to someone like you, John, that found a detached phone. Because if you called mama, it would call that phone. Whereas if you called Mm -hmm. mama's emergency contact it might find someone Mm. that could contact mama and get the phone back to her. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. I like it. Cool.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. All right. Um, Yeah. Fun. Great. Uh, Let's go on to some quick tips from all of you. Dimitri writes in and says uh, to do a, a, I, I have a way of doing a quick screen recording that results in a very compact video file Um, launch a Zoom session, start recording to computer because you can record to computer or to cloud with Zoom and share a full screen or a specific window that you'd like recorded. And then when you stop the session, Zoom automatically converts the recording to a very compact format. You don't have to go and run handbrakes separately to scale it down or anything like that. And then, of course, you can use QuickTime Player on the resulting file to trim the edges and get your Uh, your movie down. That's brilliant, especially since most of us have zoom on our computers now. And it does, it, it does a great job with both screen sharing and recording things. Um, I've been using zoom for my, my UNH class, John, in addition to like our Mac observer meetings and all that stuff. And it's, it's great. So yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. Thanks, Dimitri. Great tip. Great tip. I love when we have these tools at our disposal. And you just yeah, you just host a Zoom meeting that you don't tell anyone to join and now it's your own personal screen recording. So, pretty good. Any thoughts on that, John, before we uh before we move on?
1: Um I guess you could always use QuickTime recorder for the uh, QuickTime player, I think you could do that as well, right? For screen
0: capture? I guess so. I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess that's right. I guess that's right. Yeah. So, all right. Well, there you go. Lots of things. Uh, David sends in a quick tip, which we will navigate very carefully around, That I'm going to title Avoiding the Duck. Because sometimes on your phone, you type a word that might begin with a different letter of the alphabet, like maybe the sixth letter of the alphabet. (laughs) And your phone wants to correct it to duck or ducking. Well, David doesn't quite like that because then it makes him want to type that word again and again. And so his hack is to create a contact that has ducking, but with the different letter as the first name and duck with the different letter as the second, as the last name and save it because Person's name, people's names, person's names, contacts names will train your spell checker. They are hinted by your your spell checker, so that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is to take, and this is for any word; it doesn't have to be the one that converts to duck. Uh, I put them in um, uh, the the keyboard section of the phone, John. So go to settings, keyboard. Uh, I believe it's under settings keyboard, right? Or is it settings general keyboard? My apologies. Uh, Yeah, settings general keyboard and go to text replacement. Here is where you would type things like for me, because my my uh, like like I want to have my Dave at Mac Observer email address in there. Right. So uh, I, I have DTMO. Because that way I know, I just type that, I tap those four characters and it puts my email address out without anything. So I would put for that, for example, I would have the shortcut as DTMO and the phrase as, you know, DavidMacObserver.com. When you want to teach it a word that would not normally be in the dictionary, you put the same thing in for the shortcut as well as the phrase. And then that way, every time you type that shortcut, it knows this is something you meant to type. And at worst, it converts it to the phrase, which is the same thing. So that's how you can avoid the duck. And that's how we can mm-hmm. keep this podcast from requiring an explicit tag. That's how it's done, mm-hmm. folks. <laughs> Thank you, David. Good stuff. It's It really is a good tip for, for lots of things. And yes, as Brian8944 in our com chat room points out, the that keyboard uh, uh, text replacement syncs with text replacement on your Mac as well, so you get to avoid it in both places. Two for the price of one. I like it. Last episode, John, we were talking about a way to get anniversaries into the uh, into the the calendar, right? And uh, and listener Scott wrote in. He says when I heard about using a second contact card to put anniversaries in. Uh, my immediate thought is, why not just put it in the anniversary date field? That's what I do, and it works great, and I never have to create an additional contact card. Then I wondered why you didn't mention this as an option, so I looked a little deeper. I use BusyCal and Busy Contacts, Scott says, and have been using the anniversary date field for years. I guess at some point I added a custom date field in my contacts database and gave it the label of anniversary, and now it is easy to add that field to my contact card." This will show up as an all-day event, just like a birthday in BusyCal. However, on Apple Calendar, it will not have the number of the anniversary. And he put a little—he sent us a little BusyCal help link, which is great. Yeah, you can add that custom date to your uh, and label it anniversary, and it will work. That's true, very true. I like it. That's um, it's a good little hack. So, this is what we love about the quick tips, John. This is what we love about them. Yeah, good. Any thoughts on mm-hmm. that before we uh, before we keep on keep on rolling here? We roll uh, with the I, changes.
1: Um, yeah, for anniversaries, I I just do a recurring yearly event. So that's. that's I do that way too, to do it, right?
0: I, yeah, no, that's actually what I've always done. The problem is, if I want to look up someone's anniversary, I have to search my calendar. As opposed to just looking in their contact records. So as we've been going through this over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking, maybe I need to change my thing so that I, you know, have that stuff there. So, yeah. But yes, that's that's how I've always done it is the recurring event. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Or you just rely on Barry to tell you when your wedding anniversary is coming up. And and that's really <laughs> handy. So thanks for that, Barry. you. <laughs> uh, all right. Graham shares something with us. He says, I've got an M1 Mac and lots of people, of course, have been asking questions and wondering what the future is with M1 Macs. And he says, I thought it might be worth emphasizing this bullet point I was reading about parallels and the current limitation for version 16 on the M1 technical preview. Uh, he says, "It is the, the, the bullet reads, it is not possible to install or start an Intel x86-based operating system in a virtual machine on the Intel Mac. Uh, And that is true. They, they parallels has communicated though, that in the not terribly distant future, they plan to leverage Apple's Rosetta two technology uh, to put a wrapper around the virtual machine and then run that in uh, as an Intel thing. So uh, my guess is they have that working uh, at some level. And then when it gets a little more stable, they'll roll it out for, you know, all of us. But that is truly a guess. I, you know, that's just me looking at software development and knowing how responsible parallels is in their communication. I don't think they would say something that's vaporware could happen, but I don't think so. So estimated guess, educated guess, estimated, educated estimation. There you go. I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, Any thoughts on that? John?
1: No. Okay. okay. I actually, I actually have to renew my uh, my parallels. Told me that it's it's expired, so it's I have to do something about that. Yeah,
0: yeah. And shoot them an email. They might they might renew it for you, John. Uh, they have before. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um. So, John, I was in the last episode. I mentioned that I had unintentionally put the beta of MacOS 11.3 on my laptop on my m1 air and I needed to deal with that uh, because it wasn't Safari and it wasn't working presumably I think it's because Safari is using Apple's like uh, uh malware database as opposed to Google's now or whatever site protection whatever it is anyway Safari was bad news for me I needed it For my class, you mentioned an excellent recovery method. And had I thought about this or had you told me about this, had I known about this uh, on the day that this happened, I would have used it. And of course, yours was to launch time machine in recovery mode and recover to a snapshot of the drive. Unfortunately, by the time I did this on Sunday afternoon after having upgraded on like Tuesday, that snapshot was gone. Unfortunately, so I wasn't able to do that, but that would have been the answer uh, or the easy answer. The easy answer that I took was initially was that I remembered I had an 11, a Mac OS 11 uh, volume separate from my main boot volume that was from when I got the machine and I didn't want to wipe it clean because there were problems with that in the beginning and I didn't want to brick my M1 air. So I just created a new volume and migration assistanted to that. So I went back and basically fleshed out this initial volume that had, so I basically did a clean install on a second volume and I was running off of that. And I, you know, I made it through the week. Okay. And then Warren, a Mac Geekab listener uh, texted me and said, Hey, You know, I was just able to install, to download from the App Store, the, you know, release 11.2 full installer and install that over top of my 11.3 beta and I'm good to go. I thought, well, let me try it because I still have this 11.3 beta volume that I just hadn't touched in a few days. So I did that. I booted into that. I downloaded the installer from the App Store, John, like, like any of us can, not a developer version or anything. And I ran it and it worked. So I I was using, and this, this flabbergasted me until I stopped to think about it because I was using old logic, John. I was thinking about in the old days when we truly had just one volume and everything was fully integrated. And so once you kind of upgraded, there was no going back. However, nowadays, the system volume is separate from the data volume. And it seems as though at least from 11.3 beta to 11.2 one can just replace the system volume and all is good. So, I I think that um I think I that well that was the answer. So, there you go. Yeah. I I was amazed, John. Uh, truly. But and and happily so. So now I'm back on my my other volume and it's working fine on 11.2. Everything's fine. So pretty good, huh? Nice. I think so. All right. We've got, we promised some wifi stuff to go through. We promised some, and, and then we have some questions and maybe even some geek challenges today. Uh, so I'm eager to get to get, get to that. I'm also eager to tell you about our, um, our first two sponsors. If that, uh, if that works for you, Mr. Braun. Ducky. All right. Look, your inbox is a to-do list and our sponsor Two bird makes it the only to-do list that you need. Think about this, right? One place to track all of your tasks, not five, so you can clear out all the clutter and focus on what matters because your inbox can be overwhelming. Well, Tuberd helps you focus and respond effortlessly. It sorts things out so that you have low priority things and reminders Set aside so you get smarter notifications, preventing unnecessary distractions. You can unsubscribe from all those things that you're subscribed to. But having all your tasks in one place is what you're after. And Tubird was built with the same philosophy as and by the same company as Notability. Right. So these are people that understand efficiency. We're efficiency nuts here, too. You got to check out Tubird. We've been looking at this. This is awesome. Truly, one inbox for all your tasks. Check it out. Go to com. free. You can download this immediately for your Mac, for your iPhone. Of course, it's available in the Google Play Store, and Microsoft is coming soon. Check it out TubeBird.com, T W O B I R D.com. Our thanks to Tubird for sponsoring this episode. All right, next up is Babel, or should I say, Notre Sponsor at Babel, because with Babel, you get to learn a language. And I learned this from Babel as I've been going through and learning French. And in case you don't speak French, you can learn it in Babel, but that's not the only language that you can learn in Babel. Babel's got Of course, French, as I said, German, Italian, Portuguese, Swedish, Turkish, Dutch, Polish, Indonesian, Norwegian, Danish, Russian, Spanish you got to check this out because they make this super easy. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. You can do it on your iPhone. You can do it at your computer. I actually kind of like sitting here at the computer, but I got like a microphone and all that stuff. But your phone has a microphone, so you can do it where it works for you. And unlike those language classes that we all took in high school, Babbel designs their courses with practical, real-world conversations in mind, things that you'll get to use in everyday life. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 different language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. So that's six months for the price of three. We like that. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code MGG. That's babbe com. code MGG, for an extra three months for free. Babbel, Language for Life. Our thanks to Babbel for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Are we ready here for some Wi-Fi stuff? Yeah?
1: See. Okay.
0: <laughs> Excellent. All oh, right. Well, that's one
1: language that I speak as well is C. That's my favorite.
0: C. Language. Ah, there you go. Nicely played, mm-hmm. my friend. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh cool. All right. Uh let's go to mm-hmm. Paul here. Yeah. And Paul says, uh, speaking of Zoom and Netflix, he says, In our ranch house, I have trouble in Netflix and Zoom either timing out or not operating. I use Verizon Fios and bought their router and extender. If I switch to another router and Eero 6, do you think my problems will be solved? Um, So this is a good question. We get a lot of these and it's some version of things aren't working the way that I want them to. Uh, But these dropouts are certainly a thing. And... And far more noticeable with all the streaming and Zooming that we're all doing. So the way to approach this, and you know, we always approach these questions is, you know, with the what would I do next if I were there? Uh, We need to figure out whether these problems are truly with your Wi-Fi internal to your house or something external. Uh, So the first thing I would try is plugging in via Ethernet does Netflix operate okay there? And I realize this is sometimes easier said than done, but that truly is the, you know, the best way to test this uh, because that will isolate your Wi-Fi out of the system. And then you get to dig in and, and see, uh, see what's going on. The other way to test it is my, what, what should be, go ahead, John, you, you uh, take, take it.
1: Well, the other thing uh, What I've done in the past as well is the Netflix app, at least most of the ones that I've used buried in, I think, setup or something. There is a network diagnostics, which can check your bandwidth and I think maybe signal strength and all that. So that's another tool that, you know, you don't know it's there unless, you know, it's there, which now you do. Now you do. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Smart. No, that's right. Yeah. 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 For sure. Uh, And that, that I like that because it, it's, it actually tests your connection to Netflix, not just your connection in general. So that's, yeah, I like that. Um, As far as testing your connection in general, my, what should be patented three ping setup uh, is a great way to really isolate this stuff. So let me explain. I know I've explained it before, but it'll be very quick. Uh, Open up terminal and you're going to open three windows. They're all going to look very similar. In one window, it's gonna you're going to type ping www.apple.com, okay? Hit enter, and when you type ping in the terminal, it just, once per second, it sends a packet out to wherever you told it to send it. So in this case, www.apple.com, and then it waits for that packet to come back. If that packet comes back, it tells you in milliseconds how long it took. If it doesn't come back, it tells you the packet was missed. Okay, so get the Apple one going. This is sort of the 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 big, large-scale test, right? It tests from your specific computer all the way out the internet, across the, the waves to Apple, and then back. But we can get a little more specific. So in a second terminal window, type ping... One nine two. This is assuming you're on a cable modem. So for you on your Verizon, you'd probably skip this one unless you know. Well, no, no, you'd skip this one. Uh, So for cable modem people, you type ping 192 with a space in between ping and one. So ping space 192.168.100.1. That is the address of your cable modem. So now you're looking at your network. You've got a ping going all the way out to Apple, and then you've got a ping going to your cable modem. So we've moved one step in. And the nice part about that is if you see the pings to your cable modem are fine, but the pings to Apple are not, well, then, you know, there's a problem between your cable modem and Apple. And generally speaking, that's not your fault and not, I mean, it's your problem, but you can call your ISP and tell them this. We can go one layer deeper. Okay. Uh, We would ping whatever your router is. So for a lot of people, that's going to be 192.168.1.1, but that's certainly not universal. Uh, so you need to know your routers, uh, your routers, IP address, you that, that would be the address of the web interface. If you're using a, a non cloud attached router, if it is a cloud attached router, you can either way. In fact, you can go into system preferences on your Mac, go to network, go to wifi, uh, or ethernet, if you like, and look at the router address that's in there. So that's going to be the one that you're going to type in there. And now you've got three layers, right? So you know your connection to your router, you know your connection to your cable modem, and you know your connection to Apple. So if all of them are bad, then you know that your problem is between you and your router. If you and your router is fine, but your router and your cable modem is bad, that's pretty rare, but it happens, and it could be a bad cable between the two. But it really, this helps you isolate things down. So that would be, that's my... uh There you go. That's my, my description of my, my three, my patented three ping method. So there you go. Except it's not patented. So you feel free to use it. It's all good. (laughs) Any, any more thoughts on that one, John?
1: No, that's good. I, I like the strategy of segmenting your network or, yeah, look down all paths to see which one. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which which one? That's nothing in the way. Yeah, you'll see it. And the great part is if you put those ping windows next to each other, they will be marching in unison. And if one of them stops marching for a few blips, you'll see it as it's kind of moving up the screen. It's really easy to see. Sometimes you need to leave these open for hours. It's fine. Uh, and then, you know, and then when you have a problem, go look and see where it is across the board. If it's across the board, then you know you've got an internal problem. If it's just outside, well, you've got an external problem. Yeah, good. All right, David um, adds a adds to this. Um, and David asks, he says, uh, "Oh, what's the?" I'm trying to. This was a very long thing. Uh, essentially, he's describing Wi-Fi congestion. Okay, and uh, and he's got all kinds of issues where his Wi-Fi devices will not re- reliably talk with one another at any speed, and when he resets things, sometimes it gets better for a short period of time, and then it does not. Uh, I'll share the punchline here because it was really interesting. His problem, John. I want to share some general things too, but but his problem turned out to be his printer. So our printers can be Wi-Fi capable these days and that, you know, goes back 10 years. It's not a brand new thing. You can connect your printer to Wi-Fi or your printer can be its own access point and you can just connect directly to your printer. So you don't need a Wi-Fi network and print without having any other network in place. And your printer will essentially advertise itself like your router or your other, you know, mesh access points would with its own name and sometimes even its own password. David's printer was doing both. He had connected it to his network. In years past, to me, that was always the thing that turned off the printer's self-advertised Wi-Fi network, uh, because once it was on a network, it figured, "Great, you know how to get to me. I'm going to stop getting in the way of everything else." Well, this one did not, and that was causing all of his problems. And he found this out by launching something like Wi-Fi Explorer or iStumbler. And seeing all the networks near him. And that's one way to go about this. If you find with the three ping test that you've got multiple networks or that you've got Wi-Fi congestion or internal network congestion, open up something like iStumbler or or Wi-Fi Explorer. Wi-Fi Explorer lays it out. I find the layout of Wi-Fi Explorer to be a little easier to grok all at once. But they both tell you the same information. You can, you can easily glean the information. And what you're looking for are how many networks are within sight of all of my devices because anything that's within sight of them could be causing interference. And then you look at are they all in the same channel number and you start digging down that path. And he found that he had one really strong network uh, that was nearby and it was the one coming from his printer so he went into his printer settings he turned off the self-advertised network and all of his wi-fi problems went away oftentimes it's your neighbor and you can't go to your neighbor's house and turn off their wi-fi or you can but they get upset with you and if you do that make sure you don't get caught that's all uh, even better would be to change your your neighbor's wi-fi channel so that they still have wi-fi but aren't getting in the way of yours and yours isn't getting in the way of theirs. Like that, that there is benefit, you know, mutual benefit here. So if you, if you can hack your neighbor's wifi to fix it for all of you,
1: maybe mm-hmm. that's
0: okay. You know, I don't know. It's probably, it's not officially okay, but you know, all's well that ends well. That's how I look at it.
1: Yeah. Thoughts on that, John? Yeah, I had kind of related, but I'll mention it. So, yeah. uh, I was recently at my parents. So, um, They got an iMac and an iPad. Uh, The bad news is the iMac is dying, but it's like eight years old. And I'll let you know what happens with that. So I bought them a new refurb, which uh, there's lots of them out there. Sure. And they'll be really happy with it. (coughs) And I recovered the data from the internal hard drive, which I'm convinced was the part that was Hmm. dying. But anyways, the other problem, um, and it's now on an external SSD, so. And they have a time machine backup, so multiple, multiple backups. So they, they won't lose everything. But also my dad uh, has an iPad, a wifi only iPad. And he was like, yeah, I can't connect to anything. And I'm like, hmm. So I look and yeah, whatever website he was going to said, uh, no internet connection. I'm like, okay. Uh, went into general, went to wifi and the iPad for whatever reason was connected to HP underscore. Blah, 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 and I'm like, uh, That's why, because you're not connected to the Internet. I don't know why it decided to connect to the printer. I think it was their printer, but I don't know why it didn't connect to their. Why it disconnected from their uh, Wi-Fi, unless it maybe went out and. Yeah.
0: Or the printer was higher in the list. Like if at one point he needed to print and didn't, you know, didn't know how the network was set up and was just like, well, I'll connect to the printer and print. And he probably did. And then that left the uh, printer higher in the list, right? Like all of these things, people say they haven't changed anything, but you know, we all change mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> course, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, on David's, well, related to David's, but really just much bigger picture. Uh, I, I, my cousin lives in in New York City, and was having all kinds of problems with his Wi Fi. Uh, getting from room to room. It just like no bueno. And he's in a congested Wi-Fi congested building that includes a lot of techies. In fact, I think the guy that created Google Maps lives there or something. So like lots of tech people, but it doesn't matter whether you're a techie or not these days, you have Wi-Fi, right? It's how it works. And he had this mesh force, uh, mesh system, M-E-S-H force, just like you would think. You can buy this on Amazon and I will categorize this, as cheap and worth it, at least for him, uh, because he bought, he had started with three mesh points from them. It wasn't covering it enough. He had gotten up to six mesh points from them in like an eight, uh, 1800, let's say 2,500 square foot apartment. Even if it was a 3000 square foot apartment, whatever it is, like that's way overkill in most scenarios. And so I was trying to, and he said his problem was that it was, His devices were mostly not connecting to the five gigahertz network. They would only connect to the 2.4. I'm like, well, it's not really up to your network. That's up to the device because that's how that works. But still, this seemed weird. And I kept telling him, I'm like, you know, you're you're not in some farmhouse where your closest neighbor is, you know, 10 acres away or something. You've got a lot of people around. Just because somebody bought some chips from Qualcomm and put them and you know, attached some antennas to them and called it a mesh system doesn't mean that it's the same as a mesh system from a vendor that actually is paying attention to this stuff. And I reached out to the Mesh Force people and asked them how they were doing things. And, of course, every answer was, well, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. It was, you know, do you do... Uh, you know, any buffer bloat protection? No. Are you doing any sort of QoS? No. Are you doing this? No, no. And it was obvious that it was like, okay, this is an, built to be and sold as an inexpensive mesh system. So my. Comment cheap and worth it. Probably would be great in the farmhouse that I described. Not so good in my cousin's apartment. I finally convinced him to buy an, uh, an Eero system. He so he's like, I don't need Wi-Fi six. I'm like, dude, you should just buy the Wi-Fi six and forget about it. But he didn't want to do that, so uh, he bought the the second gen Eero. So you know the 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 just prior to the Wi-Fi six coming out generation Eero, which is great because you know it works really well and uh, less expensive. Because saving money is important to him, even though it seems like he's just going to buy lots of stuff. And uh, <laughs> that's my judgment on my cousin. Uh, I'll own that. I've told him this. But with three, and, and he's like, How many should I get? I'm like, Get three. And he bought three Eros. He put his mesh force system away, and it has been 100% smooth sailing since day one. No, this is not some embedded Eero spot, although it certainly could work as one. <laughs> We're not getting paid for this one. This is just. You get what you pay for. I I was actually encouraging him to use Plume, not Eero here, and I still think that for in his scenario where it's really congested, Plume's cloud um, smarts are better than what Eero does. To be perfectly honest, but he didn't like the idea of subscription based routers uh, where you have to pay every year for you know access to all the features of your router, and so he decided he wanted to go with Eero, and that's why he went with that. But um, that the Eero is working great for him. I'm sure the Plume also would have worked great for him. And, um, and so there you go. That's, uh, just you know, be careful what you're buying, I, I guess, is the, is the, is the, so beware of the cheap mesh because you get what you pay for. But again, if you don't have any, any interference nearby, might be totally fine. So anyway, thoughts on that before we keep moving on with some Wi-Fi stuff here, John?
1: Um. The spiky, despite being in an area where I see probably thirty to forty access points, uh, I seem to be isolated enough. Where, yeah, uh, interference from neighbors has last I checked, not be a con- not be a concern for me.
0: That's good. Well, you're also using a high quality mesh system that's built to right sort its way around this
1: in the you know in the past actually i would when i had like an archer unit you know just the single one Mm. i would manually i would do a scan like you suggested is a good thing to do and see who was on what channel and you know in the old days yeah it was like you know one six or eleven or the approved and you know to, to see who's See which one is the most popular in your area, and go to a different one. Right, go that, somewhere else. That, uh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I have found, like, with my daughter's apartment uh, downtown, that was my most recent, like, personal hands-on experience with congested Wi-Fi scenario. And uh, what I found there was that it was less about the signal strength. Of the other routers because I was picking one where it was like the the relative signal strength. I was picking a channel where the relative signal strength was low, but the density was high. And in an apartment building that was proven to me to be the wrong approach, the right approach was picking a channel that had the least amount of other radios on it, regardless of signal strength. And, and that brought their, they have a 300 down and whatever, 25 up or something connection. And that their downstream speeds, you know, 12 feet away from the router were, or even five feet away from the router were somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 80 to a hundred. And when I moved to the channel that had less radios, but, but higher frequency, you know, higher signal strength on those competing radios, it went immediately up to 300. and was like, aha. Okay, right. so there there is some there's some math there. It's worth again. It's you know it's troubleshooting, right? It's worth experimenting. So yeah, Yep. Yeah. All right, uh, let's see how are we, how are we doing on time here. We're doing all right. Okay, uh, Andy brings us a question here. Andy says uh, my router's getting flaky, so it's time for a new one. It seems silly to do mesh in a 1,200 square feet townhouse. Uh, is Synology still your top choice? And then he asked, "Have you played with the Ubiquity Dream Machine?" So it's it is interesting that you know a router that's four plus years old now, the Synology RT twenty six hundred AC, is still uh, the top of the line non Wi Fi six router that's out. Uh, it's it really is fantastic. It's got you know two four by four radios. Uh, it It's got a super fast CPU to run all the things that you want to run. and uh, it it's great. Synology's mesh has been flaky for me, and a lot of you have have reported seeing the same thing. So I don't use Synology's mesh, but uh, but as far as a router, that r t twenty six hundred a c is fantastic. And it's amazing to me that, you know, it's like I've literally been running the same one for four years and have no desire to to upgrade. It's just the best router. That I can find. However, interestingly enough, that Andy asked about the Ubiquiti Dream Machine. That is number two on my list. And in fact, if it weren't for the Synology router, that is definitely what I would be using. The Ubiquiti Dream Machine takes all of those Unify Smarts, faster CPUs than you would get on the sort of entry level Unify stuff, uh, great radios, and packs them into this, you know, into this router. That is a fully capable unified device, meaning you can add all of Unify's various different access points. Like, you know, you want an outdoor access point? Go ahead. There you go. Right there. You know, all of that stuff ties in. It manages it all. I prefer Synology's interface to Ubiquiti's interface. They're both web managed. Uh, They both have iOS apps. Um, But it's really It's probably only because I'm so used to Synology's web interfaces, both from having the router for four years and also the the disk station. There's nothing wrong with Ubiquities. They both can get very complex if you want them to. And that's sort of the point of these. So, yeah, I would say you're going to be fine with either one of those. Uh, I like the VPN features of the Synology better than the Ubiquity. They both have inbound VPN, but the Synology is way more full featured and, and way more customizable than you, I think you get one type of VPN with with Ubiquity. So to me that that's actually the deal breaker or the deal decider. It's not really a breaker. It's a decider. So there you go. Those are those are my thoughts on on the 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 two. They're non Wi Fi six routers. So I'm hoping both brands come out with Wi Fi six versions
1: of of those things soon. But yeah,
0: any thoughts on that, John?
1: You know more than I do.
0: I, I've tested more of those than than you have. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I'm a little crazy. It's just how I, just how I work. All right. Uh, Jason asks about interference, specifically with Thunderbolt and USB, when it comes to Wi-Fi. He says, I know you both spend a lot of time digging into this stuff in the past. One advantage, one advantage of using Thunderbolt two with its docks and drives was that it did not interfere with Wi-Fi connectivity. Until recently, I assumed the same rule applied, that while Thunderbolt 3 shares the same connector as USB-C, it still runs on a different frequency and therefore will not interfere with Wi-Fi. However, I'm hearing I might not be correct. You are correct that your assumption was incorrect. And by that, I will say USB and anything that runs at those speeds across it, including Thunderbolt, can interfere with Wi-Fi. Uh, Apple's got a knowledge base article about this and we will put a link in the show notes, of course. But um, the general advice here is that you should use a high quality shielded Thunderbolt or USB cable and you should keep your devices as far from your Wi-Fi signal source as possible. So, yes, Thunderbolt can interfere. Thunderbolt 3 and and what we call Thunderbolt 4. Uh, Because they're running across USB-C can interfere with Wi-Fi the same as USB can and will. So yeah, good question. Not, uh, Not the greatest news, but it's just, you know, it's physics, right, John? That's what it comes down to.
1: Pretty much. And I'm going to link to an oldie, but a a goodie here, which is a white paper from Intel. Okay. The title being USB 3.0 radio frequency interference impact impact on 2.4 gigahertz wireless devices. Nice. Nice. Cool. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. No, you're right. It's physics. And, you know, it still is beyond me. The problem here is that you're dealing with what I think I'll call resonant frequencies or I'm not yeah. an engineer,
0: really. I think, no, anymore. I think that's but the right The thing term. is,
1: yeah. yeah, the thing is, all right. So, for example, USB 3 operates at five gigabits per second. Um, some things operate at five gigahertz. Do you think they'd interfere with each other? Yeah. So why did you make that choice to have them both yeah. do the same amount of things? you know per uh per second that's these, what you know, it hertz. is okay i didn't quite realize i think in in some cases or at least how that, that's how i explained i, it in I thought it paper. was the two it point, 2.4 i thought well, 2.4, 2.4, 2.4 is was the close one, enough right i thought 2.4 was the
0: one that would be interfered with i i thought yes. it was 2.4 was the issue not five
1: uh, I'm saying that because USB three operates at five gigabits per second, I think that's that's
0: okay. But I don't think it's the five gigahertz band that mm-hmm. that gets in the way. I, I think five gigahertz right. is the yeah. solution here. So connecting your devices to yes. five gigahertz doesn't get them in the way. But Bluetooth and two point four gigahertz Wi-Fi are interfered mm-hmm. with by you by blue by uh, uh, the USB speeds. That's what I thought. But I, mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm wrong about that say the word, but I'm pretty sure that that, that's right. That USB three, whatever frequency it operates at resonates with in the same range as 2.4. So yeah, like Apple's devices, if your router supports, um, well, wait, wait, wait. Uh, I don't know. Actually, Apple's article isn't entirely clear. So you may be right about, I thought it I thought it was 2.4, but maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, I'll check the
1: article. Okay. Okay. It there. All right. Cool. Cool. Good refresher.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, it's, it, but using shielded cables evidently makes a big difference, which is why some of us experience more of this than others. And I thought
1: that that was a good, um, right. I mean, and I'm going to add something else. Um, Having done some radio stuff, uh having a good ground is important as well. Makes sense. Yep. Things that aren't grounded well, uh yeah, can can generate, I guess, you know, spurious, troublesome RF. So uh, for sure. Check yeah. your ground while you're at it. You can buy a little thing at uh most uh Home Depot and stuff like that that check your uh that check the polarity of your uh of your outlets. So make sure what you're plugged into uh, is set up right. Because it may not be. It might not Mine are, but yeah. yours may not be. Right. Right, right. We had, so, no, had someone. Now, we had someone report a badly grounded um, power strip, I think, or outlet to. Uh, yeah, it was interfering with like a nearby, nearby something. Yeah. Anyways, so it can no, happen.
0: I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have more Wi Fi to talk about here, John. We also have more sponsors. So I want to talk about more sponsors and then I want to talk about more Wi Fi if that works for you. Hit me. All right. Our first sponsor here is Amazon Pharmacy, where an Amazon Prime member can save on prescription medication when not using insurance and Get free two-day delivery. You've used Amazon Prime, right? I certainly have. And it's awesome. Like, the delivery, it just shows up. It's amazing how quickly they're able to get things to me. Well... They can get your prescriptions to you the same way. It's awesome. It saves you time because Amazon Pharmacy delivers your medication directly to your door. So there's no more waiting in line at the pharmacy. Not being forced to go to the pharmacy, that's a really good thing right now. And it's super easy. You can have your doctor's office send your next prescription straight to Amazon Pharmacy. You can use your insurance. Amazon Pharmacy works with most insurance plans nationwide. And as I said, you get free two-day delivery and save on prescription medication when you're an Amazon Prime member when paying without insurance. Very cool stuff. You can learn more at Amazon.com slash M-G-G-R-X. That's Amazon.com slash M-G-G-R-X. One more time with feeling. Amazon.com slash M-G-G-R-X. Our thanks to Amazon Pharmacy for sponsoring this episode. Next up, Kitty Poo Club. I know the name, funny. The service, the product, awesome. If you're a cat person, you know how much your cat likes cardboard boxes, right? Like it's a a thing. Any cardboard box shows up, the cat wants to be in it. Well, this is a litter box that shows up and it's a cardboard box. The way it works, it's an all-in-one solution designed to be convenient. So, every month, Kitty Poo Club delivers an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that's pre-filled with the litter of your choice. These boxes are totally leak-proof, eco-friendly, and have a fun design for every season. And then, when the month is up, you just recycle the box and Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. So, you don't have to change, use the litter, and you don't have to clean the box that way. It's awesome. We've been using the organic soy litter here. Our cats love this stuff you got to check this out because Kitty Poo Club has a no-risk guarantee, so you can easily customize or cancel anytime. So give yourself the gift that keeps on giving the whole year a Kitty Poo Club subscription. Right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering 20% off your first order when you set up auto-ship by going to kittypooclub.com and entering promo code MGG. Again, kittypooclub.com. Enter promo code MGG to get 20% off when you set up auto-ship. One more time, that's kittypooclub.com. And don't forget about about our promo code MGG at checkout. Our thanks to Kitty Poo Club for sponsoring this episode. All right, uh, let's go to yeah more Wi-Fi here. Brian writes, he says we recently moved from Danbury, Connecticut, to Southbury, Connecticut. On every device in our house, laptops, iOS devices, Chromebooks, etc., they all show our previous address in Danbury as our current location. I have updated the home address, but both Apple Maps and Google Maps show us. And Danbury. I've also deleted the apps on our iOS devices and have had limited success, but not hundred percent. The location tends to drift back over time. I'm not sure if my Eros are the cause, but I did find a thread online about updating the Skyhook location. And I did that today. Uh, so this email, we've been saving this Wi-Fi stuff for a little while. Uh, this email is almost three weeks, maybe four weeks old by now, but I think you nailed it, Brian. Skyhook is where I would go with that. And I'll put a link in the show notes. Skyhook tracks the IP, uh, the GPS location of the MAC address of Wi Fi access points. And they like they populate this database in a lot of different ways, including you just manually going and putting it in. But they also uh, different apps can can take you know what they see when they also have location and send that off to Skyhook and and those sorts of things. But that's a lot of where these location based things come from, especially when you're using Wi-Fi triangulation. So uh, so updating when you move and you move a router with you. Updating that Skyhook location can fast track this. It will eventually get there, I would think, but this will make it happen a lot faster. I've seen when I've updated Skyhook, John, it's usually about two weeks before I start to see it trickle through to whatever, you know, whatever, Hmm. whoever's using it. I don't know. But yeah, my guess is that that's the that's the
1: that's the issue. Yeah, I think you know like the other guys that have cars that you know map and all that i think they do exactly what you said is every now and then they cruise around and just read yeah. all the mac addresses in an area and then associate the data because that is a way but as we can see not a very reliable way to determine someone's location
0: yeah i mean it's relatively I have one reliable field. i right? have
1: yeah i have one that i can't figure out and i've seen it happen to others so um. My cell phone number um, is mapped to Norwalk, but I'm of course in Fairfield. Sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't hear me, the first eight hundred forty. <laughs> <or> That's <something. laughs> um, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, Pokemon Go insists that you know, like when I, you know, when I access certain things, it still says, uh, "Oh yeah, this this, this uh, location that you've been to is in Norwalk. and I'm like, "No, it's not." Mm. And I see it happen to some other people, too. So I think they're doing some level of phone number mapping when they shouldn't be. Right. They've got access to your location. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, they have access to my location. So why are they associating Norwalk to what I'm doing instead of Fairfield, where I am? Yeah, that's I mean, Norwalk Norwalk is close by, but as far as I know, we do not directly touch norwalk no you have no, westport we between you and other and southport or something too i think um but yeah but, well southport's kind of
0: fairfield but oh that's yeah, true you're right. that's right yeah 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 but no you're right they like exchanges are are still mapped to towns like that exchange which i won't read out here live uh is very much a norwalk exchange it's mapped to norwalk's you know, whatever Mm -hmm. routing in the phone system. And that's how it shall be. You just happen to get that number. Ironically, your phone number and my mother's phone number are exactly the same, except the last four digits of yours starts with, let's say X and then ends Mm -hmm. with a double Y. My mother's Mm -hmm. phone number starts with a Y and ends with a double X. But other than Mm -hmm. that, they are literally exactly the same number. And so that's it's, hmm. it until I could like associate you and my phone with with a contact record, I would see the number come in. It was like, is it John or is it my mother? I have no idea. It's just fascinating, you know, the way things happen. So my mother does live in Norwalk, so right on the Westport border, but you mm-hmm. know, it's not it doesn't really matter. Uh yeah, all right. Wi-Fi, John, not you, listener John says uh, we have the Synology RT2600AC as our main router and two of their mesh MR2200AC uh, connected. We want to get a Wi-Fi 6 system, and it sounds as though while well, you like the Synology router, you don't recommend it as a mesh system. Correct. Uh, I've certainly noticed it to be very slow, moving devices to the mesh point with the best signal. That's one of the problems, sir. Yeah. He says, I'm willing to consider Eero because it's managed remotely. But I've had bad experiences in the past with Netgear. Their firmware has been buggy and their support uh, hasn't been interested in resolving issues. That's not good. He says, I'm looking at the Ubiquiti Dream Machine uh, Pro. He says, I already have a 24-port switch and and their rack-mounted stuff, so this would fit nicely and I have some of their Wi-Fi 6 access points, so or could get some of them. He says, would there be any downsides to this system compared to my existing Synology or compared to the best, the best mesh systems you have had? Uh, like I said before, I happily recommend Eero and Plume partially because of their cloud management. Uh, I really think, I know that there's some hesitation with cloud management, and, and I understand why. I totally get it. But I think that cloud management is a big part of why we don't have to overthink and over manage our own mesh networks and still get the benefits of that, you know, machine learning, which I know they're, you know, they're doing, especially over at Plume. And so I I I like I'm bullish on cloud management for mesh Wi Fi for exactly these reasons. I understand why you might not want to have cloud managed network. Totally get it, and if that's the case, then going like with the ubiquity would would be a great system uh, for you, yeah. But um, the Netgear Orbi is also not cloud managed. He said he had some troubles with Orbi in the past. I will, I have two. Their Wi-Fi six, their Orbi six stuff has been phenomenal for me. So I I share that because you know everybody deserves a second chance when they put the work in, and and I I believe Netgear is on that list right now. So. Um, uh, so anyway, it, I, it's worth considering if you, if you had come to me and just said, Hey Dave, I don't want cloud managed mesh Wi-Fi. I want locally managed. What would you recommend? I would have said the Netgear Orbi six or like the TP link Deco. So that would be, that would, those would be my two. So there you go. That's what I got. Anything on that, John, before we have one more, um, one more wifi question before we move on to regular questions. I think you're muted, John. If I'm, I can see you talking, but I can't hear you speaking. So.
1: Nope. There we go. Okay. I was muted.
0: Yes. All right. Good. That's better than it just being a technical issue. I mean, it's a technical issue. It's just a, you know, error between the chair and the keyboard. If you don't mind me saying so. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) operator error, operator error. Yeah, there you go. We used, that's what we used to call it. Yep. All right.
0: Uh, One last one uh, from listener Robin who asks, I'll be shortly moving uh, houses and uh, have a combination of the Eero or the, of the RT twenty six hundred AC plus a couple of Airport Extremes to with connected via Ethernet to get my uh, signal boosted in different areas. And I'm considering taking the opportunity to move to mesh. I was wondering about replacing my RT twenty six hundred AC to get Wi-Fi six mesh which I want for backhaul speeds. But it sounds like I could just augment my Synology router with the Eero Pro system just running the Wi-Fi. How difficult is that to set up? Well, the good news is, Robin, it's super easy. And that is currently exactly what I'm running here at the house. The Synology is the main router. Its Wi-Fi is turned off. So I've gone into the Synology and disabled the radios. So it is truly just acting as a router. And then I have the Eero and I've gone in and disabled its router. And you do that by going into the network settings of the Eero and put it in bridge mode. This turns off the routing functionality and some other features that require routing uh, and then brings you uh, just mesh with the Eero. And, it, yeah, it's a great setup. I mean, it's, you know, it's very decadent, but it's fantastic. So because you, you get the router you want and you get the mesh that you want and everybody's happy. So there you go. Uh, any thoughts on that, John, before we move on to our regular questions or non-Wi-Fi questions, I should say?
1: No, that's uh, yeah, good dose of Wi-Fi there.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, sweet. You want to take us to Listener John?
1: Listener John has a weird one. Uh, and Listener John says, I recently noticed that the hard drive, a three terabyte fusion drive on my late 2015 27-inch iMac running 11.1 was more full than it should be. I noticed this before the update to Big Sur. When I ran Daisy Disk as administrator, I found something odd. The top level of the hard drive had the usual four folders, applications, library, system, and users, but it also had a folder, not visible in the finder, called volumes. And in that is another folder called imac-data. And in that are the same four folders that exist at the top level of the drive, application, library, system, and users. The mystery volumes takes up about a terabyte versus one and a half terabyte for the rest of the drive. So what is this volumes folder? I've been only able to find anything that describes what it is. I found references to system volumes. Yeah, that, that, that's normal. Uh, and other volumes under hidden space in Daisy disk, but no reference to volumes at the top level of the drive. Um, that fills up all this space. I'm starting to wonder if this is the result of some sort of drive corruption. Um, And does it take up real space? And how do I get rid of it or make it take less space? Um, Normally, you shouldn't see slash volumes, though it is there, Dave, if you go in the terminal. Um, But what that is, is I'll call it a mount point. Right for other volumes in that so for example, if, if if you go to my system, uh and you go to you know C D in the terminal C D space slash volumes and then do an LS dash L, uh what you will see is um well the first thing is data underscore archive, which is my Drobo, and it's listed as a directory. Google Drive, which I also use Google Drive and it's listed as a directory. Macintosh SSD, which is, um, I think a symbolic link has an L next to it. And then recovery, which is your recovery partition. And you'll see the same things in locations and your machine name in the, in the location sidebar. Um, but I ran Daisy disc just to, just to see if this was a bug in Daisy disc. And I didn't see any huge volumes, uh, folder. So, huh. I would say, yes, there is something in this and you should, um, <laughs> and I would think, uh, do what he suggested with, which is, um, <clears throat> yeah, well, yeah. his, his thought was, yeah, is, you know, I should do a clone and then, uh, 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 you know, bring all the data back to that one.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm more wondering about your machine and why the recovery partition is, uh, is mounted. I don't, oh, you're, that's a big Sur machine. Correct. Correct. Ah, that's normal then. Sorry. On Catalina, no recovery. Big Sur, recovery. It's hidden. You don't get to see it. It doesn't show up, but it is mounted.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that was definitely bad. Yeah. Yeah, it was a volumes folder, not the, uh, you know, the kind of mysterious hidden volumes thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Um, That's weird. Yeah. It's, you know. But you're right, it's a mount point. The way Unix mounts another drive or another volume is it creates a folder and then says, mount that drive at this folder. And so the contents of that folder are, like the folder will exist on your boot drive. Like, you you know, for you, there is a folder on your boot drive called volumes recovery, but it's empty. And Unix is just pointing at that and saying, this is where we're going to attach off This other volume. Uh, So there you go. Yeah, cool. All right, Uh, you want to take us to Phil, John?
1: Phil. Ah, yes. All right. Oh no, Uh, I don't have it. It's there. Yeah, I know.
0: Okay. All right. Good. No, Phil. Phil. I have a geek challenge I can Uh, share. Should I share the geek
1: challenge while you find Phil? Phil? Okay, you found Phil, let's um, go. Yes, all right, using a MacBook Air for everything, especially my podcasts and radio shows. It's a 12, 128 gigabyte hard drive and it struggles, so everything is on the external hard drive plugged into the MacBook Air by a hub. Uh, iTunes library, photos, podcast audio, all the, all that stuff. Um, the external hard drive is now struggling, so I downloaded iDefrag and saw lots of gaps in the hard drive, so guess the GFrag would help. I don't have another external hard drive to move data from one to another and format. So ideally I need to defrag this drive. I tried with ID but it cannot unmount the drive. Some processes are using it mainly photos, which I tried and kill an activity monitor, but they always come back. So how can I defrag my external drive? I cannot work out a way to unmount it. All right. And then I went down an interesting path, Dave. Um, so you could decouple the photo library and the external drive and temporarily point it towards your internal SSD just so the process, which is usually photo analysis D and photo library D, uh, won't be grabbing the external drive and, and causing this. But I suspect there are other processes that are maybe doing the same thing. So you may never be able to figure them all out. But that would be one 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 place to start. Um, yeah, that works. I I um, and Then what I go ahead. here's what i would do uh, something jumped out at me that he said uh one thing that i would do dave is maybe download an installer and install it on an external drive and boot from that and then run re- knife defrag well then you're definitely
0: not going to be able to unmount the drive right if you've oh for, for a different installer not, a different external not that external that, yeah
1: correct that's yes. a, that's another My way thought would be create create a bootable something and then point it at that drive sure. because the bootable something that you create will not have any, any links to that other external drive. Yep. That's, that's, so that was another one.
0: Rob in the chat um, room says, uh, attach an ex, uh, take, ta- 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 shut down your main machine and attach this external to another. So that's yet another way of, mm-hmm. of getting this drive unfettered access unmounted. Uh, the mm-hmm. way I would do it, uh, is, well, there's two ways. You sort of stumbled on one with the external drive. You don't have to, as I've proven, you don't have to have another drive to have another bootable volume. So you could just create a bootable volume on your internal drive if you have the space, right, and just boot from that. But I think there's an easier way because all of the things that are pointing at this are user services, photos, podcasts, those kinds of things. And photos, even when you quit the Photos app, it's still doing it in the background if you've got an iCloud library, maybe even if you don't. Uh, So I think what I would try is create a second user account. Log completely out. Don't do fast user switching. Log completely out of your main user account. Log into this test user account. And I think you're going to be able to unmount that drive and ID frag the, uh, the living daylights out of it. That's what I would try.
1: So I don't know. Yes. And I think uh yeah, and I think we got a response saying, Mm -hmm. hey, yeah, that, that would be a good idea too. Um the only other thing I would think, Dave, is that um money may be tight in this case, but I would take a rotational external rotational drive, and I would actually my suggestion was uh, two reasons. One, uh, SSDs are pretty inexpensive these days. So getting a large external SSD and cloning the contents from that uh, would be one thing that I think would give you much, much better performance. Yeah, yeah And then the other thing he said, he doesn't have an additional external drive. And so that led me down the path of, oh, I hope you're making a backup. And he replied that, yes, he is in fact doing a Good. time machine backup. So, Good. So I misinterpreted what he wrote there.
0: No, that's okay. No, that's good. That's good. It's good. Cool. Yeah, I like these kinds of questions. It's good. Uh, I have a geek challenge for us, John, and that is uh, listener Mark writes in. He says, at work, my Mac and my working partner's Mac are in different rooms about 20 feet away. We yell to each other to have conversations. I know it would be better to just use the old fashioned wired wireless intercom. So we do not have to yell, but being a geek, I would rather have it work just between the two Macs. It looks like there used to be an app called desktop intercom, but it's been discontinued. Any other ideas? He says, we're both Italian. So, uh, we call it using the Mm. Italian intercom when we yell room to room. Yes. My wife is half Sicilian, so I'm very well versed in this concept. Uh, I like your question though, but I don't have an answer, which is why I have made this geek challenge. We use the Amazon a lady for this in our house, either by saying a lady drop in on kitchen. And now you've got a intercom connection between the two. Or if you truly just need like a one-way thing, you can say a lady announce, and then it announces whatever you want. Like a, uh, uh you know, announce time for dinner. And now throughout the house echoes time for dinner. So, uh, but I don't know, or we use our Apple watches walkie talkie feature, right? that, that's right there. If you happen to have Apple watches, but as for Mac to Mac, I don't know of any intercoms like easy to use intercoms off the the top of my head. I mean, you could FaceTime call each other, and that, that right. I mean, maybe yeah,
1: yeah. I've actually uh, in doing remote support for my uh, my parents. Yeah, um, uh, the uh, I was having issues with uh, with. Uh, um, trying to connect with, a, uh, 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 it'll come to me at some point. Yeah. Um, but the support software I had that would, you know, let me control the computer wasn't working and I don't think iChat was set up right or yeah. messages. You can use that. But, um, I was like, Hey, take dad's, uh, dad's, uh, um, you know, I called my dad's iPad and then I'm like, show me, you know, aim it at oh. the computer so I can see your desktop. So, Kind of a hokey way of getting remote access, but it worked.
0: I'll tell you the thing I'm using for remote access, especially tech support these days, going back to zoom, it's excellent. You can have dual control of the screens. Everybody's already got zoom on their computers nowadays anyway. So it really like, it's been, I, I team viewer is out the window for me. It's zoom all day long for, for any remote support. It's really, really well done. So All right, uh, John, we have time for one more if we make it a quick one. So you want to do Ari or, or is there another one on the list? Um, but we have to decide. Yeah.
1: All right, go. No, we'll do Ari. Take Ari. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So let me, let me go to Ari. Um, eventually figured this one out, but this was an odd one. So, um. Hi, guys. Have you found out this to be case after you allowed for external booting on your T2 machine? Uh, And I happen to have one of those, Dave. Um, I have a couple of them, actually. Actually, mine are both T2 machines, as far as I know. That's right. Um, And he shows a screenshot of Wallet and Apple Pay. And he highlights a card, and it says, Card is unavailable to use with Apple Pay. Apple Pay has been disabled because the security settings of this Mac were modified. Learn more. And then there's a article which i think we should probably link to um from apple and it gives you a few suggestions and so i tried to reproduce this problem so i have a uh, and he says yeah he thought maybe it was a ccc warning um or, mm. or an issue related to carbon copy cloner but that's what i use to make my clone and so i tried to boot from my clone and i had something a little different happen um and that when i tried it didn't come up with this message. Now I was set to media and I was also set to medium security, which is funny because their article kind of suggests that you, it it won't work. Um, what happened in my case, Dave was my cards were still in Apple pay, but I had to re-enter the CC, CCV of each one. Okay. In order for Apple pay to then be active on the clone. So, um, so that's one thing. But he changed to medium security. I thought that would fix it. It didn't for him. huh? And then he came back. So the, the, this thread has been going back and forth with us for a while. But um, I was like, man, you know, what else can I suggest? And then I noticed the screen, Dave, has the cards listed and a plus and a minus sign. And I'm like, well, why don't you delete the cards and put them back in? And he did. And that's all <laughs> and that's it fixed it. Ah, yeah, interesting.
0: Yeah, the T two chip is involved in more than we think it is. I, I really, I've, I've come to realize that, and that's okay. Like, but, but it, it seems like it was probably holding on to something there, and by taking the card out and putting it back into macOS, the T two chip gets happier about things again. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, that's good, man.
1: Nice, I- nice fix. Yeah. But also I've noticed on v- multiple devices that sometimes if Apple Pay thinks that somebody's trying to pull a fast one, yeah. it's going to do something like this. Yeah. Or in the fact like on a new device, like right. you know when I got my new phone, it was like yeah, you got to type in your, you know, you're on a different device even though I know about your cards, you're on another device, so yeah. you got to, you know, reauthorize. Um, yeah. So yeah. this is not unusual behavior for Apple Pay. Right. Though I've never seen the message that he got.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense, man. It makes sense. I like it. It's good. And the T2, we I, like it's a good thing what Apple's doing with the T2 chip. We just, as troubleshooters, we need to learn what it's done. So. That's all we got for this week, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks to everybody in the chat room at live.mackiecab.com. Thanks to all of our premium contributors. I will list all of your names next week. I promise. Uh, Thanks to all of our sponsors, of course. At uh, you can you can see all our sponsors at slash sponsors But of course, tuber.com, dabble.com with promo code mgg, amazon.com/slash mggrx, kittypooclub.com promo code mgg. Thanks for hanging out with us. John, if someone wants to email us, it's feedback at MacGeekab.com, right?
1: Mm, I'm pretty sure it's feedback at MacGeekab.com.
0: Get that wrong every time. It's feedback at MacGeekab.com. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much, folks. Thanks for uh, for sending in all your questions and your tips and your cool stuff found. Uh, it really makes it like it's what makes the show happen. So thanks so much, and we will uh, we'll see you next week. It's time to go. Time to go. Visit our podcast marketplace. You can see that at MacGeekUp.com slash sponsors with other sponsors like Smile slash podcast, MaxSales.com, Airbones.com, Yes, slash MGG, Lino.com slash MGG. Lots of good companies. John, help us pull the ripcord. What is it we need to say?
1: What we need to say. To all of you, is three simple words, and they are don't get caught. Made up.